0: This is a recording of me, Ian Bushfield, speaking at the Sunday, April 24th, 2016 meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. In this talk, I explore some of my concerns with how I see Canada's charity law stifling the ability of charities like the BCHA to advocate for political change. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its Board of Directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist podcast and leave a review on iTunes. So, hi. As, for those who don't know, my name is Ian Bushfield. Uh, I'm the executive director of the BC Humanist Association, but I'm not going to be talking as a staff member. I'm just going to be talking about my personal opinions. The other important caveat this morning is I'm really not a lawyer. Uh, I'm going to be talking a lot about charity law. I'm going to be talking, because that's fun. Uh, I'm going to be talking a lot about just the status of what it takes to be a charity in Canada. So, I've taken one nonprofit management course on law and governance, Uh, and then I've just done a lot of reading, and I'm always interested in it. I've helped draft the current bylaws that we operate under in the BC Humanist Association, and I look at this, and I lived in the UK for two years and looked a lot at charity law there as well. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, and if I'm completely wrong, feel free to call me out at it on the end. I think what motivated me to want to talk about government censorship of charities is I think we're all familiar with, under the previous federal government, the Harper Conservatives, there was this sort of advocacy chill. There were politically motivated audits of charities, and there was a lot of concern, and a lot of groups Mm -hmm. were speaking out. Uh, The Broadband Institute in 2012, I believe, released a report, or sorry, in 2014, it released a report looking at all of these sort of politically motivated audits that the CRA was doing. I think it was the budget of 2011 or 2012, that the federal government said, we're gonna put a bunch of money, $8 million, into this Canada Revenue Agency to find out if charities are abusing their ability to speak out on political activities, because as you may or may not know, charities are very limited in how much political advocacy they're supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be very minimal, and I'll get to the specifics. You had environment or the National Resource Minister, uh, Joe Oliver, at the time, speaking about environmental and other radical groups, quote, using funding from foreign special interest groups to undermine Canada's national economic interest. And if the slides are working, I'd have a picture of him looking very angry up here, (laughs) as they all were when they talked about our NGOs. So the Broadbent Institute's report was entitled, Stephen Harper's CRA, Selective Audits, Political Activity and Right-Leaning Charities. And what they went through and did is they documented all the charities that came forward and said, we're undergoing, we've been subject to one of these CRA political audits. Uh, you had Greenpeace, you had David Suzuki Foundation, you had Pembina Institute, you had Amnesty International Canada, and similar organizations. Uh, the Canadian, I don't think BC Civil Liberties Association. Maybe they were, okay. Uh, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. A lot of our friends here in Vancouver, or people we know through our networks, were subject to these audits. Dying with Dignity Canada was subject to one of these audits. I'll speak about them in a minute. Yet, yeah, uh, Broadband Institute went through and looked at some of the big names on the right in the charities, charitable sector, the Frasier Institute, Institute the McDonald Laurier Institute. On the religious side, there was the Institute of Family Values known for speaking out against gay marriage and the Focus on Family Canada. All of these groups reported 0% of their funding activity was political, and none of them were subject to an audit that we know of. So it seems like there was something fishy about this specifically Dying with Dignity Canada, our friends, they were audited, and they were not found to have broken the political advocacy law. None of the charities actually were. What happened with Dying with Dignity Canada is the CRA decided that they should never have become a charity in the first place. Their purposes weren't actually charitable, and so they annulled the status. And so they lost their status in 20, last year, and they've been operating as a non ever since, which means they can't issue tax receipts. And have restrictions on which grants they can get. But I think the problem goes much deeper than just these political audits. Uh, In August 2015, the CRA issued an advocacy or an advisory on political activities and partisanship. So as it was coming into the longest election in recent history, the CRA told charities as just a friendly reminder, you're not supposed to be partisan. You cannot Support or oppose any specific candidate or party, and everyone pretty much agrees with that. I reminded you you have to be very careful about what political activity you do. But on the partisanship, it said if your charity runs a website, a blog, or has social media, you need to be going through the comments on those, and anything that smells of partisanship in there, you need to monitor and remove quickly. So this means that our Facebook page, which has 1,400 likes, 1,400 people like our Facebook page and comment on our articles, we have to make sure that if someone posts yay Harper or boo Harper or yay Trudeau or boo Trudeau, we have to delete those. We have to censor our fans and our supporters because the CRA abused those comments on Facebook as our voice. And I think this is not just mind-numbingly ignorant of how the internet works, because the internet is this bastion of sort of free expression where people from all over come and express ideas, not always uh, cleanly, uh, but it's it's an expressive space. And it's one that I think we want to foster, especially a charity like ours, which is founded on free expression and the exchange of ideas. And so to say you basically have to go through and moderate comments that look a little partisan, scares me. And the other issue for me with the sort of charitable law and the other issue that I really want to bring up here is that the core of what you need to be a charity, the reasons you can be a charity, one, there are four main reasons. One of them is just promotion of religion. So our, the BC Humanist Association's charitable purposes are mainly educational or advancing human rights. But advancing religion in and of itself is a charitable aim regardless. And those four I'll come back to. But it's not just so simple as just advancing religion. The CRA has gone further and said, religion is explicitly theistic. There must be a bit of theistic worship in it. You can't just be an atheist religion. Whether or not you like that idea, there are starting to be atheist churches out there. There are groups coming together and saying, look, we don't believe in God, but we want to celebrate communally and do this. Is that uh, charitable? And the CRA says, no, you can find another place to it. The CRA doesn't cite any case law for this. They don't cite a law that says this is how religion has to be defined. It's just basically bureaucrats who are deciding which religions are valid and which ones are not. So it's not just that theism is required. You have to convince the CRA that your religion is a real religion, which means shady people are sort of deciding what religions are. So even if you're religious, there's an issue here, I think. Another problem with the CRA definitions of religion, one of the other four, or one of the other three, is the relief of poverty. Uh, A few years ago, you might remember this story, but Oxfam Canada actually ran into problems because the CRA ruled that they were trying to end poverty, but they should only be allowed to alleviate poverty. (laughs) (laughs) They specifically said, quote, Oxfam can no longer try to, quote, prevent poverty around the world if it wants to keep its charitable status for tax purposes. It can only alleviate poverty. So the letter of the law is impeding charities from actually fixing the world, which is what our point is. So the question is, how did we get here? Like, why do we have this weird thing? And a big chunk of it is, we don't have a charity law. We have a few lines in the Income Tax Act that really define what charities are, and where the definition... they don't. Sorry, they don't define what charities are. They just define how we should help charities through the tax code. Canada's charity law dates back to about 1600, and an English... A law called the Charitable Uses Act, where the preamble of that sort of defined what a charity was. So we're looking at at least 400 year old legislation. That was made clear in a House of Lords case in England in 1891 called PEMCEL, and that's when these four categories of charities were set down. So Canada's charity law is based on 19th century case law in England. Just keep that in mind every time you think about charities. It's just absurd. PEMCEL basically was between an individual trying to start a charity and the tax commissioners, and the judge in the case basically set out four reasons for why you can can have a charity. One is the relief of poverty, one is to advance education, one is to advance religion, and then there's this broad other category that are just purposes beneficial to the community. And that's just become this sort of catch-all that the courts have filled in with Things like helping the elderly, helping the sick, uh, helping the, or saving the environment, helping animals. And it's slowly grown just through case law. So we've never really had a public debate in Canada, in Parliament, about what is a charity. We don't have that definition in law. It's not in the Tax Act. It's just from this 1891 Act and a few others. Subsequent cases, both in England and Canada, are ones that define religion as requiring a faith in a higher power. There was a case about a secular or rational humanist group in the UK that asked if they could be advancing religion, and the court said no. And in that decision, they said, religion, quote, some benefit accused to the public from attendance at places of worship of persons who live in this world and mix with their fellow citizens. So the courts basically just said, you know, getting people to go to church is just a good thing. As long as that church is theistic and they believe in something, because atheism is just scary. That fourth category, as I said, is expanded. also includes localities and uh, maintaining heritage. And so we're really just stuck with the lines in the Income Tax Act. Those past uh, cases also basically set out that there's no good reason or that charity shouldn't be political. This has sort of been throughout the court cases. And that's based on sort of two arguments. The first is that uh, courts shouldn't be deciding... What change is beneficial? So if you're being political, you're calling for a broader change in society, and the courts don't really want to decide whether or not that change is good or not. They should leave that up to politicians and the sort of supremacy of parliament. And the other problem is the courts always wanted to assume the law is correct. So if a charity is arguing for the law to change, the courts can't go, oh, well, you're right, that law should change. And it's a similar sort of issue with that sort of parliament is supreme. But both of those arguments are crap especially here in Canada in 2016, where our courts regularly throw out laws and decide what is better for society and what is beneficial. And sadly, this sort of public benefit of advocacy hasn't been challenged in Canada, and I'll talk about where it has been later. And what's so funny is these changes are actually coming, all these laws that are changing are coming from charities advocating like the BC Civil Liberties Association going to the Supreme Court and making their case. So as I said, Canada's charities are regulated by the Canada Revenue Agency based on a few lines in the Income Tax Act. The act, as I said, doesn't define what is charitable and it says all our political activities must be, quote, ancillary and incidental to our main purpose. And so that little phrase, ancillary and incidental, has been interpreted by those sort of bureaucrats to just mean 10% of our expenditures and volunteer time. So you take our total annual budget and however many hours of volunteer time however we calculate that and a very small amount of that up to ten percent has to could can be political CRA would probably prefer it to be zero and obviously none of that can be partisan and so that's where we're at and we have to report the political activities we do undertake on our annual return which you can look up online but it gets a little bit more confusing because that Definition of political activity is also not defined in the Act. It's really also defined by bureaucrats, and potentially it could be defined by the Minister of Finance by just passing a note down to the head of the CRA because the CRA is not an arm's length body. So the CRA has basically said there are things we can do that seem political, but they're really about our core charitable purpose as long as they're related. Things like we can do a public awareness campaign about a political issue as long as it relates to our core work. We can also direct, the organization can directly communicate with elected officials calling for a change in law, and we could publish that communication online. But if as soon as we tell you to send that same letter, we're being political. So I can write as the executive director to every MP in Canada saying, do this, do that. These are the kind of laws we support. But as soon as, and I can then put it out on our website, as soon as I've said, You should all send that same letter to your MP. We've gotten too political. So the laws are fuzzy, or the rules are fuzzy, and they're also subject to be changed on a whim. So we can't do explicit or political activities or explicit calls to action, calls that a law, policy, or decision by a government, and that could be a foreign government. So if we talk about the Republicans in the US, we could be partisan, we could be political. If we talk about Saudi Arabian governments, we could be getting political when we start calling for laws, policies, or decisions to be retained, opposed, or changed, we're being political. If we indicate either internally or externally that we intend to incite political action, we're getting political. So me talking about whether we should get political on the board email list is apparently political. I don't know how we quantify that, but this is the realm we're in. Or if we give our money to another charity and tell with the idea that they're going to use it to be political, that's political and that one at least makes sense. So yes, the rules are ambiguous and subject to political interference since none of this is defined in law and our politicians have never really publicly debated it. It's just behind the scenes. And that would be okay if there was maybe an appeal process or if you got in trouble then there's a reasonable way out. But basically what it comes down to is if you are caught breaking these laws as a charity, you just face the death penalty as a charity. There's no simple, like, oh, we were just misunderstanding. But from what I've read, like, if you're found, if the CRA revokes your charitable status, there is an appeal process, but it is expensive, and you're only allowed to argue certain things, and a lot of people won't come in on your side, including, like, the provincial government, who has actual jurisdiction over charities, oddly enough. But we can come back to that. One of these reports I read looked at charities who had appealed their... Uh, status being revoked, and over the last 10 years, none have won. So if you lose your charitable status, it's gone. You could maybe go and try and start a new charity doing something different, but that is now just a nonprofit. And when you lose your status, you might also have to pay back all the taxes you were exempted from over the last year, and they could potentially seize any of your assets. So it's not just like, oh, your organization is just in a different realm your organization's probably dead. This is why Dying with Dignity in Canada was lucky to just have theirs annulled. So the CRA just went, oh, it was our mistake. You can keep going, just not be a charity anymore. And that's where we've gotten to. But you're probably thinking, oh, this has all changed, right? In October, this, different, this new government got elected and everything is better. Sunny ways, as it were. The Liberal Party of Canada, as you know, won a majority government under Justin Trudeau. And... In their platform, they campaigned saying specifically that they would end the political harassment of charities. They'd modernize the rules and introduce new legislation to govern charities. Good things, based on what I see as major holes and problems in our charitable sector. And it started to look good. Shortly after, I think by January, they would announced that they were not going to conduct any new political audits, and they were going to phase that uh, program out, and there aren't any more going to happen. But something was noticed by a lot of the charities. The Liberals didn't stop existing audits. So if a charity, if the CRI had started an audit, a political audit, in October, the Liberals let that one finish because they figured, we, we've started it. We may as well find out whether or not these charities are breaking the political rules or not. And so charities started speaking out more. The same ones who'd been speaking out under the previous government. And then in the budget, there was something promising. They meant in the budget... Uh, about a month or two ago, it promised a consultation to look at clarifying the rules about political activities. But that's not what they promised in their platform. They promised new laws, they promised modernization, and now they're just talking about consulting on clarifying rules. And frankly, the problem for me isn't that the rules aren't clear. Well, I mean, they're not, but it's that the rules themselves are stupid. And they're (laughs) preventing us from being more activist, which I think is a good thing to be when you want a better world. And, but beyond that, I don't see, a, I mean, the federal government obviously has a lot on their agenda, but I don't see a lot of push on their part to really go beyond this sort of consultation to clear up the rules. So what are the alternatives though? When I was in England, what I discovered is there, and I actually learned about this when I was taking my nonprofit management courses. they have a Charities Act, and they've actually had a Charities Act since 1960, but in the 90s and early 2000s, it underwent a huge sort of review and culminated in 2006 with a sort of broad new charities act that really sets out a lot of things. and It does a lot much better than Canada. In the first case, it defines what a charity is. It says, here's a list of things that are good charitable purposes. And rather than just four, it has 13, including an other category, because there are things that could come up that we can't think of today. So it doesn't just rely on sort of case law dating back to 1891. After campaigning the British Humanists by the British Humanist Association, the law was actually updated again in 2011, and they expanded the definition of religion, interestingly, in the law to say, a religion for a charitable purpose could be, includes a religion which involves belief in more than one or more gods, and two, a religion which does not involve a belief in a god. So the British Humanist Association is now actually registered as a religious atheist charity after their own campaigning. They've also put into their law that advancing human rights, advancing science are charitable purposes. And they've defined what's known as the public benefit test. The public benefit. So there's two sort of rules for a charity in Canada and Britain. First, you have to have charitable purposes. Your goals have to be charitable. But then you also have to be for the public good. So, you have to have, you can't just be for a small subset of people. You can't just go to help that one person. That's not a charitable. You can't create a charity to just help your friends. You have to be for the broader public good. And that's something that in Canada is just defined in case law and through the courts, but at least in Britain, they've written it down and said, all right, here's how we test this. Here's how we know that you're being charitable. But there are two things that I think are even more important in the Charities Act, the first of which, is that the chari- they created a charities commission that's entirely arm's length from the government. So there's a separate regulator that looks after charities. It's not subject to you know, the will of parliament or the whim of a minister. It does report back to parliament, but it's free to sort of promote the charitable sector and increase the number of charities and increase engagement with them. And also to regulate them to make sure they're not getting up to shady business or pissing away people's money. So the Charities Commission is independent. I'm not sure about the appointments of them. The other thing in the Charities Act is that UK charities are allowed to be political. They should not be entirely political, but the Act and the legislation in the Charities Commission recognizes there are times when, to accomplish a charitable purpose, a charity might have to be 100% political. It can't be 100% political all of the time, but there might be that short period Like, say, when assisted dying laws are coming up in debate in Parliament, that a charity needs to get hyper-political to affect that decision because it affects how it's going to accomplish its goals. And that frees them up a lot. Of course, there are still some problems in Britain. Religion is exempted from a lot of the oversight, so religious charities who aren't huge don't have to report themselves to the Charities Commission, whereas other charities do. And it's not just religion. I had the quote from their slide. It's very specific. Christian denominations are free to just do that. So it's not even universal. In 2014, there was a big debate because the coalition government then introduced what was called the Lobbying Act, and that set very strict spending (coughs) limits on all non-political actors in the six months prior to an election. And this was basically seen as a gag order on charities, which there was massive protests against. And there have been recent scandals in the UK about fundraising and, over, and some of the uh, oversight and the autonomy of charities. But overall, I think the Charities Act is a step forward compared to our sort of legal vacuum that's just made up of court decisions. I mentioned other countries. One that, two that are really interesting is Australia and New Zealand, in which both have very similar paths in, as Canada's in charity regulation. In Australia, there was a charity called AidWatch, and its purpose was to look at how aid money was being spent around the world. So is the Australian government effectively helping people in developing countries? Sort of an important purpose. But a lot of their camp work then meant they had to turn back to politicians and say, you're, you're wasting people's money, and try and hold them to account. And that's very political. So at some point, this rubbed some... Shoulders the wrong way or upset people. So they lost their charitable status and they sued the government for taking that away or appealed. And it went all the way to the Supreme or the High Court of Australia. And the High Court actually ruled that that political activity was a public benefit. It was a good thing to have, it was a charitable purpose to be advocating. And so they sort of overturned this ban on political activity, and they said public debate is beneficial to the community. And I think that's something we'd all agree with here. Inspired by that win, in 2014, Greenpeace argued the exact same thing in New Zealand, and I guess their court systems listen to each other a lot, and they won in the New Zealand Supreme Court. So in both of those countries, they basically said that advocacy is an absolutely non-negotiable part of being a charity and to be a nonprofit organization. In Canada, there's no big universal push. I don't know of any political parties that have taken on charity reform in such a strong way, but there are a lot of uh, smaller NGOs starting to look at this. As I mentioned, the Broadband Institute had its report. A lot of the groups that were subject to these audits are also now starting to speak up and join coalitions, and they tend to be environmental left-wing NGOs. Uh, but there was a good report out of University of Victoria from the Environmental Law Center called Tax Audits of Environmental Groups, The Pressing Need for Law Reform. And it actually looks at a lot of these case studies and is really just the better, more research version of this talk. So go read that, it's <laughs> free on Desmog Canada. There's also a group called the Voices Walk Coalition and they've been looking at, in all the different ways, they were formed under the previous government to just look at how the previous government was silencing its critics, whether they were public servants, civil society, scientists, Uh, indigenous leaders but now that there's been a change in government that coalition is starting to look at how to reform its purposes and its goals and i've been sort of seeing some of that come forward and i think it's promising and they're looking at a lot of different proposals and they're part of a broader protect protect canadian charities coalition which as i said has some of those ngos like environmental defense and they've been petitioning for charity law reform There's a few other ideas floating around, a few other issues. Ted Falk, who's an MP for ProVenture, actually a conservative MP, he's put forward a Fairness and Charitable Gifts Act as a private member's bill. It doesn't address any of these problems, but it would mean that if you donate to a charity, you would get the same tax credits as if you donated to a political party because he thinks that's important to encourage donations. I don't think it's a bad idea, but it's not. Solving this problem. So I did write to him, and he's interested in the ideas. One of the options is, of course, charities could just all give up their charitable status and act as nonprofits. There's no need to be a charity. But I think that's a sort of almost not coward's way out, but it sort of cuts off our nose despite our face. Because once you give up charitable status, it's not just that you lose the ability to issue tax receipts. We do gain certain benefits from third parties as being more legitimate by being a charity. For example, we have Google Ad Grants, where we get free, free ads on Google AdWords, so when people search for humanists, the DC humanist ad will pop up, and we get that free because we're a charity. We get a few other per- benefits and perks of just basically organizations recognizing that we're serious because we're a charity. That maybe we'd have to give up if we wanted to be more political, but it's challenging. There's another problem where, interesting quirk that I didn't look into too much, but charities are actually a provincial jurisdiction under the Constitution of Canada. And Ontario has actually brought in some legislation to further regulate charities, but that's more just to add accountability and oversight. It didn't try to define charities. So there is the possibility that each province could bring in a charities act of its own. And maybe this is actually why the federal government hasn't done anything is because they go well we can just do the tax code we can't define a charity but the problem then is nobody's doing it i think the big problem here is that charities are really busy like every chari- every person i know who works in a nonprofit has too much to do and not enough time because the mandate of a charity is really big and you'd never really have time to argue these sort of broader higher meta level issues because you're always focused on solving poverty promoting secularism Challenging privilege in different places. You don't have time to say, we need a better law because that would help us 10 years down the road. It's, we need to fix problems now. And there are other issues like social innovation. There are a lot of uh, charities that are starting to branch out into what's called social enterprise, where they'll start a business that, like a, say, thrift store or a coffee shop, and then all the proceeds of that business fund the charity. And that's a really good model because then the charity's work is funded by steady stream of income and they don't have to rely on the sort of donor cycles of, oh, people have money and they can support us. Oh, now it's a recession and we're going to have to close our doors, but now we'll need it more than ever. The problem is there are actually rules on how much money a charity can, or how much work a charity can do making money that isn't fundraising. And so there's this weird realm where BC is starting to promote this sort of social enterprise idea, but it's tough to fit it within the nonprofit landscape. I mean, that's basically what I had to say, and I ran through it faster than I expected. Maybe my slides would have slowed me down a little bit, because then I could have read out the specific quotes from the Charities Act. Mm -hmm. Thank you.